Let's open our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 3. I've entitled the morning's message, When That Which is Perfect. And that title will come into light as we get into our study this morning. Again, without getting too much in review, the book of Revelation is uh, divided into three sections. And again, the main verse, the key verse, is chapter 1, verse 19, where John is told to write the things that he has seen, chapter 1, write the things that are, chapters 2 and 3, and write the things that are after this, which is the remainder of the book. But we still have the Church of Sardis this week, then Philadelphia, and then the last one to close out the seven churches is the Church of Laodicea. Um, The last four, and I'll point out the scripture this morning that indicates that there will be these four last churches in the last days when Jesus comes. And um, uh, Thyatira and Sardis, last week we talked about Roman Catholicism. This week we're speaking about Protestantism. And um, with that being said, um, in a panorama of church history, Sardis represents the Protestant church uh, during the period between 1517 and approximately up to the rapture. I believe when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses onto the chapel door of the church at Wittenberg, Germany, uh, it was an era which started with the Reformation, and in case I forget, it's, it's 503 years old. We just celebrated 500 years of the Reformation three years ago. And it takes us to the beginning of uh, a great change because up to then, again, remember, it was primarily Roman Catholicism, and without going back too much, it is predicated upon the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, sort of a hierarchy, um, uh, many things added to uh, Scripture that uh, they say constitute salvation. And basically, when Martin Luther came around, he was actually a Catholic monk. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. And he was troubled. And I'll read a little bit his testimony, the anguish that he went through trying to reconcile um, the Scriptures with the traditions and the sacraments of Roman Catholicism. Remember, he was a Catholic priest. So he's, he's got this war going on inside of him. Uh, when he finally came around, he took uh, the 95 Theses and nailed them to the Wittenberg door. Sardis um, was the capital of the great kingdom of Lydia in one of the oldest and most important cities in Asia Minor. And again, uh, these four churches, as we look at a broad view of what we just call the church, uh, or people who call themselves Christians, what we see is over a billion Roman Catholics. I, I'm going to be talking personally about being brought up Lutheran, because I was brought up in a Lutheran, Lutheran church. My own personal experiences there. And then, um, of course, we have Philadelphia, which has nothing bad said about it. 
um, they were known for two things. They were small, and they would not deny the word of God. And therefore, the Lord said he was going to keep them from the hour of trial. That's going to come upon the whole world. Now, the only hour of trial that's going to affect the whole world, uh, besides the flood, which is past tense, is the great tribulation. So basically, he's saying, this church I'm going to keep out of the great tribulation because they did not deny my name or my word. In contrast, last week we studied, unless you repent of your spiritual immorality that Jezebel brought in, I'm going to put you through that hour of great trial. And so we have that contrast there. This morning, uh, we'll look at uh, four different aspects of the Church of Sardis. Um, Number one is early history. Um, Number two, the necessity of the Holy Spirit. And that's the first thing that will come up with the title here with Jesus. Uh, The necessity for this church to watch, implying that they weren't. And then fourthly, uh, the promise is interesting and controversial. And so we'll be looking at those four this morning. Let's go right to chapter three, verse one, and look at the title that the Lord chooses to identify himself with this particular church at Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works that you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. The title that he uses is one that would denote um, the seven spirits or spiritual life. And as we look at this church, they're evidently a church that is in church by name. Um, They call themselves Christians, but he said, you are dead. And the title that he uses here is one of having the spirit. And um, as we'll see and have seen, Sardis represents the Protestant church. I know your works, this is a word of commendation. We have to remember that the Reformation recovered the, the doctrine of justification by faith, and this faith produced good works. Um, that thou hast a name that thou livest that art dead. Protestants today as a whole has a name that it lives, but it is dead. Many Protestant churches today are just going through the, the motions of the form. They're building all the time. People are coming, especially on Sunday. And as we look at the early history, um, it was radical what Martin Luther did. And I want to read, I went online, and I was able actually to find a couple paragraphs of Martin Luther speaking personally for himself, the emotional turmoil that he was going through as a Catholic priest. So I'm just quoting him as a couple paragraphs long, so bear with it. Here's, he starts with his frustration. Um, I had indeed been captivated with an extraordinary Uh, at her for understanding Paul in the epistle of the Romans. But up till then, it was not the cold blood about the heart, but a single word in chapter one. And this is what bothered him. 
In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That had stood in my way. For I hated that word righteousness of God, which according to the use and custom of all the teachers, remember Roman Catholic Catholicism, I had been taught to understand philosophically regarding um, the formal or active righteousness, as they call it, with which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punished sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God and said, as if indeed it's not enough that miserable sinners will be eternally lost through original sin, are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law of the basically the Ten Commandments, without having God add pain to pain by the gospel, and also by the gospel threatening us with his righteousness and wrath, and thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. And then he says, nevertheless, um, I beat as often as I could with Paul at that place most adamantly, desiring to know what Paul wanted. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the word, namely, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written, he through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that which by the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. Now up to this point, it had been sacraments and works, and all of a sudden, boing, the lights go on for Paul. And he's saying it doesn't have anything to do, my salvation has nothing to do with my works. But my righteousness is predicated upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, it just, he just was a completely different different man. And this is the meaning, the righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which a merciful God justifies us by faith as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. And here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. There, a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. But he didn't get it through the Catholic dogma. He got by studying the book of Romans. All have sinned, all have fallen short of of the glory of God. And uh, as far as he was concerned, the best you can do is make it sometime in purgatory and pray that somebody will pray out or buy out or any way you can get out. And I guess the scripture that applies here in his own personal testimony You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He learned the truth by reading God's word. And he took all the religion, and he put it over here. He wrote the 95 Theses, and he said, here's my problem. Deal with it. I'm out of here. And basically, you have the beginning of the Reformation and a breakaway. Following that dark night of the dark ages, the Holy Spirit was still in the world doing his work at this time. 
He moved in um, the hearts of men like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and, and many others during this time. Now, that's all church history, 503 years of it. Now, he's talking up to Jesus' time, um, when we're going back to the very beginning, in Sardis, um, back to, uh, let's go back to 1B, I call it here. Uh, yet in Sardis, he says, you are dead. Let's read it again. These things, says the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, and um, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Uh, the dead part, well, I grew up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, attended um, a Bethlehem Lutheran Church on the corner of Cherry Street in New York, <laughs> and I went there until I moved out on my own. Um, we would pray before every meal, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, let this food to us be blessed, amen, and that was it. And then when we were younger, mom would tuck us in and uh, she would pray with us. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know what that is? Jesus named it. It's called a vain, repetitious prayer. (laughs) And you just pat it down. But it was the custom that we grew up in. It was a routine. And then, of course, God bless Mommy and Daddy and Aunt Sue and Uncle Buck and, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. So you couldn't think of anybody else, then you got to go to sleep. So that lasted. I've been, um, it was just, just a routine to me until I got saved. And when I did, and I've, I've told this story so many times, but for those maybe hearing it for the first time or those watching live stream, it's important that I tell this part of it because my dad was very serious about being a Lutheran and he never missed. And he always put his 20 bucks in, in the plate when it went around. I actually was an usher. Um, we had it down when they would say the Lord's Prayer that when they say, our father, my job was to push the button, ding, and the bell outside would ding. And somewhere right in the middle, I forget which word it was, uh, there was another place for the bell, so ding. (laughs) And then when they said, amen, ding, that was my job. Besides, Besides ushering people in and giving them the bulletins. There were times I snuck out, and mom and dad were out of town. I'd go and get a bulletin, but end up at the bag playing pool. (laughs) Just to show that I was in church, I had my bulletin out. So at this point, um, uh, I tried to tell Dad after I had moved out and met the Lord, I said, Dad, church is church, Uh, but I met Jesus, and there's a big difference between going to church and um, knowing and loving your church uh, and knowing Jesus. But again, I've said this so many times, sons don't tell their fathers, fathers tell their sons. It's the father's job to raise the son. So um, we were arguing about my long hair anyway because he was a barber. 
So between, between the barber and long hair and uh, me being born again and him telling me to leave him, leave him alone, um, he continued to go to the Lutheran church. And you know the story. One day I, I, I gave up. I, just, I said, Lord, you have to deal with him. So he made that wrong phone call one day and he got a born-again Baptist on the other end of the phone and uh, dad said, sorry, wrong number. And the Baptist said, oh no, Larry, you didn't get the wrong number. <laughs> and he proceeded to witness and he said, you know, you sound just like my son. He says, I got a question for you. How can anybody know for sure they're going to heaven? And he says, Larry, do you care if I come over and we'll talk about it? He came over every night for a week, and after a week, my dad was born again. And his life first, because he could answer the question, this guy was smart enough to get my dad to ask questions. And the question was, how can anybody know for sure they're going to heaven? It's my dad's life first, 1 John 5, verse 13. These things are written that you might know you have eternal life. And... uh, Everything changed, and um, uh, my dad changed, and then he got mad. He got really mad, and he went back to the Lutheran church. He says, I want to have a meeting, and he sat down. He says, I've been going to this church every Sunday, unless we're traveling, for 20 years, and you never once told me I had to be born again, and I want to tell you now, I am born again, and I'm never coming here again. He ended up going uh, to a Bible-believing church in town, and those were the Shiloh years for me. But once Dad got saved, Mom's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Now they're going to a different church. They're teaching the book of Revelation, and um, she's just trying to figure out Dad. And then I came home and visited her one day. She was doing dishes. And she says, son, I need to talk to you. Something happened to me, and I don't understand this. Um, she was doing dishes, looking out the back window, thinking these things through. Dad's probably praying for her. And she said, then something happened. Something warm started at the top of my head and went all the way down through my body. And all I can tell you is um, I know it had something to do with God, but I, I don't know what happened. I said, Mom, what just happened is you were just baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the experience that you had is one of the Holy Spirit coming upon you just like it did at Pentecost. That's what happened to you. Well, Mom, Dad, brothers and sisters, all fell like dynamos, except I, every family is praying for somebody, right? Well, I got one brother that um, unfortunately um, did not get saved. And um, it's hard to me to talk about it and think about it because um, I don't think he died saved. So that's that. I can't think about that too much because I know too much about that. Um, having said that, and that's what happened um, in, in the Doville family. Uh, Dad, for 20 years, was at Calvary Chapel, Tri-City in um, with John Higgins, Calvary Chapel down there. Um, went street witnessing every Saturday morning with John. And you'd have to know my dad to see my dad street witnessing. You know, it just wasn't 
just wasn't who he was. He really was born again. Very successful businessman, gave it all away. And um, built a house out on Pine River. He says, I gotta think some stuff through. And the way he did that best was by building his house. And then um, they ended up in Arizona because mom's arthritis. So that's, that's the Doval story of my younger years when I didn't have to go anymore. I didn't. And um, have at this time I'd like to turn to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and tell you why I titled this That Which is Perfect and explain the balance of the Calvary Chapel Ministries. Um, What we really need to do is to get to the person of Christ whom the Holy Spirit can make real and living to us. This is the thing that Protestantism needs today. So we're still not, we're still in one, we're talking about them having a name that they're alive, but they're dead. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit without getting too much in depth. Chapter 12, 13, and 14 to me are the definitive um, chapters that deal with the subject of the Holy Spirit. And Paul begins in chapter 1, verse 12, saying he doesn't want you to be ignorant of it. So let's read verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The Holy Spirit is a gift, and we do believe in the two baptisms. If you're taking notes and you want to check me out on this, just write down Acts chapter 8. We have Philip baptizing people, but they still weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they call for James and uh, Peter and John to come up from Jerusalem. They're already baptized. And they lay their hands on them. And they're baptized. We call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we hold to the two. But it's very controversial because um, Chuck wrote a letter back when there was a split in the Calvary Chapels in 1981. No, 19... uh, Uh, well, somewhere around there. And John Wimber wanted to put the emphasis on signs and wonders, and um, Chuck said, no, the emphasis is gonna be upon the word. And he says, I feel the place for the Calvary Chapel movement is to be a balance between the Baptist churches and the Pentecostal churches. Now, what's the difference between the two? The Baptist church do not believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. The Pentecostals, however, can put an overemphasis on that and say they're definitely for today, but they're misused. Now, chapter 14 is all about making sure that the gifts are used decently and in order in the church. The whole chapter is, in my, if I would give it an overview, is extreme Pentecostalism. And Paul here is talking specifically about the use and misuse of the gift of tongues in a public service. Uh, Now my wife and I both have the gift of tongues. And there are many of you that have the gift. Some do, some don't. According to chapter 12, uh, um, in verse 28, are all apostles, no, are all prophets, no. 
Do all have the gift of helps? No. Administrations? No. Tongues? Well, that's not yes. The trade of thought there is these are all no. You have different gifts. And um, um, the only gift that is used for self-edification, remember back we read in verse 7, that you get the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the profit of all. Well, what does that mean? Well, um, when we realize our inadequacies and the Lord wants me to pour my life into somebody else's, it has to be the Holy Spirit. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given so that you can use it to build up somebody else. Good place for an amen. amen. One exception. Chapter 14, verse four. Tells us, he who speaks in tongue edifies himself but he who prophesies edifies the whole church. So the idea, um, sometimes you're going through something and you don't know how to pray, and it says, but the Spirit makes intercession and can actually understand your sighs and your groans. So when Paul says he speaks and prays in the Spirit, he's not necessarily talking about tongues, but the Holy Spirit understands the groans and the sighs and actually makes intercession for you. Now, the gift of tongues, I believe, is, is very, very personal. And um, we're told here, because it was getting out of order, um, he would go to the Corinthian church and everybody was speaking in tongues. Paul comes in and says, stop it. And the reason he said stop it, he says, because on an open Sunday morning, especially these days, we might have visitors, but I'm sure we were having people watching us live stream. And if we allowed the gift of tongues to be exercised where there may be non-believers, Paul clearly says, um, therefore if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say you're crazy? (laughs) They'll say you're crazy. Now the last thing that we want to do when we have invite somebody to church is to think you're crazy. <laughs> no, we want them to come and um, have an opinion. Oh, pretty nice people there. Uh, they, I like their worship. Uh, they teach the Bible. And uh, they leave actually thinking about stuff. But the last thing we want people to do is come in for a couple minutes and see people jumping over pews and stuff like that. <laughs> And uh, saying, well, it's time to go. <laughs> I don't think I, don't think I want to hang there. But in 1 Corinthians 13, um, let me sh- uh, this is the difference between how they w- view this. We'll pick it up in verse 8. Because uh, 12 is uh, the gifts, 13 is all about love, and 14 is given instructions on the use and misuse of the gifts. So in verse eight, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, whether there are tongues, they will cease, whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but that when that which is perfect has come, all right, now you know the name of the title, when that which is perfect. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. All right, years ago, the best way to explain this 
is um, before Calvary Bible was in their new church on the other side of 41, they were in a smaller church on, on the other side. And they were bringing in a new pastor. And um, being a part of the ministerial fellowship, their board asked us if we would come in and interview um, their new pastor. Just ask them questions. We all got one shot. And I thought, what question am I going to ask this guy? And I said, I, I know. So when it got to be my turn, I said, okay, now, in 1 Corinthians 13, um, there's this verse that people have one of two opinions on it. I would like to know what yours is. And the question is, what is when that which is perfect is come? What do you believe it's referring to? The two trains of thought are, one, when the full canon of scripture is complete, there will therefore no longer be the use of these gifts because now we have the word of God. That's one point of view. And when that comes, then tongue ceases. Well, if tongue ceases, that means knowledge has to cease too because it's in the same verse, okay? And the other answer is when that which is perfect has come as a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the two thoughts. I want to know what you think. And he didn't hesitate a bit. He says, well, obviously it's referring to Jesus and his second coming. And I said, right answer, I vote yes. <laughs> and that, that goes back to the early 80s when, when that took place. But those are the two trains of thought. Um, it makes no sense at all because, but if you would ask a, a Baptist, they hold to that position because they believe that the gifts cease because now we have the canon of scriptures. That's why Chuck said we want to be the balance between Baptists who hold to the word of God and the extreme Pentecostal. And he said we need to find the, the balance and that's what the Calvary Chapel movement is all about because we believe in all the gifts of the spirit. Uh, Pastor Chuck's oldest daughter was raised from the dead after she died. That's a whole other story, and I wasn't, that's not in my notes, and I got to state of my notes this morning. So when that which is perfect has come, if we just go by rule of thumb interpreting scripture, we're supposed to keep things in context. So I left off, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And then he says this. The context is Jesus. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Now abide faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So what we have, if you're taking notes, write this down. First John chapter three, verse two. And just think this through with me. It says, beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, when we receive our new bodies, 
we're going to be like him. Um, and as, as a result of being like him, these gifts that are used for edification, what, are, what did we read verse seven? For somebody else, to build somebody else up, except for one thing, and that's the gift of tongues. Self-edification to edify yourself. Well, um, you won't need that gift then because that person that you would want to encourage, they're like Christ too, just like you're like Christ. And so um, we take the stand, of course, that which is perfect, when that comes is a reference to when the Lord comes and gives us our new body, and that makes perfect sense. Back to Revelation. We've made it all the way through the first verse. Verses two and three. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, uh, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent, and therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. Now, hold on to that word thief. I'm gonna come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come in. Uh, the question is, watch for what? If they're supposed to be watching, and the answer for that is in Matthew chapter 24, and let's turn there quickly. Picking it up, these are rapture scriptures. Um, verse 40, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. What does this Lord say? Watch, therefore. For you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. But notice how he ties this into Revelation and the church of Sardis. But know this, that if the master of the house would have known what hour the thief, same wording, the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, be also ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. At Calvary Chapel, we we believe in the, the imminency of the return of the Lord, which means he could come before the message is over, and that's fine with me. And we don't know the day or the hour, but we are to know the times and the seasons. Times when there's gonna be increase in earthquakes. Times when there's going to be famine. Nobody's talking about this. And I got something wrong on Wednesday night. I said the plague of locusts is 8,000 times worse than it was earlier this year. I wanna correct myself. It's 8,000 times worse than last year. And so, nonetheless, we are having, they're saying the results of the enormity of this locust famine that's from Northern Africa all the way up into Pakistan and into Northern Israel in the Punjabi area, in Kashmir area. And um, they can consume in 30 minutes, I forget the exact statistics, but basically, if you do any research on this at all, we're talking major famines as a result of this latest thing, but it's one of the things that Lord told us to look out for. 
He also said, don't be deceived. That's why we did what we did this morning. The whole world is deceived. And then he says, lawlessness would break out. (laughs) Seattle, Seattle's just been taken over. It's a war zone. And now we have, because of this incident, and again, I don't want to under... um, understate what happened in Minneapolis. It was terrible, it was wrong, and the guy should go to jail for a long time for doing it. Um, But that happens every day, guys, and it happens all over the world every day, and anti-Semitism and what's being perpetrated against the Jewish people is a lot worse. But there's not lawlessness worldwide because of it. But there's, why is there lawlessness right now worldwide? And so we have sort of a one-two punch, a global epidemic that's literally turned the world upside down, and we have lawlessness on a scale that we've never seen, ever. And it's all, all because of, um, the other thing that I need to throw in here is the reality of spiritual warfare in the last days. So the Antichrist, there are many Antichrists in the world, the scriptures say, and um, he's just positioning himself for all this to happen. And by the way, I forgot to pray for somebody else I wanted to pray for this morning. You know whose birthday it is today? President Trump's. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Oh, I should have gone there. <laughs> See, it's in the back of my head and it just sometimes comes out and it, We need to pray for our president. Um, There's more millennials right now than there are people our age. And they want socialism. They want everything free. And um, we could talk about that a lot, but we need to pray for President Trump. If for no other reason, um, he's he's a man's man who stands up for Israel. And I'll, I'll vote for him just for that reason. Moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Got a picture of me and Judy standing right up in front of it. President Donald Trump and his name and uh, insignia on our embassy in outside of Jerusalem. Boy, did I get sidetracked there. All right. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Watch for what is the question. The answer is, of course, the rapture of the church. He said there would be signs that would precede it that would be like a woman in labor pain. And they would grow more intense and they would become closer together and then all of a sudden it happens. So as I look around the world, um, I see birth pains and I see them intensifying and that tells me that um, um, the hour is late And what is the condemnation of the church of Sardis? You're not watching. Watching for what? Well, do you know that the Lutheran church does not believe in the rapture? Turn with me to Titus, the book of Titus, chapter two. And as you're turning, I'll tell you another another story. In view of the fact that the rapture could take place at any moment, the church is to be alert. The date is not set, nor even the period in which he may come. 
However, having said that, if you're in Titus chapter two, let me draw your attention to verse 11 through 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Then what? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul's admonishing the church, looking for the blessed hope. See, the real hope is not that everybody's gonna be open again. And here's, here's one of the greatest tragedies. Most places are open back up again, but people are afraid to go in them. And that hospitals, people who need surgeries and stuff like that, they're afraid to go. And um, the repercussions of this, are, I think, are gonna go on for a long, long time. And I don't know if there's ever gonna be what they call the real normal again. So we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. But as, as it pertains to the church of, um, the, of, of the rapture, um, the church of Sardis, that's what they were supposed to be watching for, but, but if it represents Lutheranism and Protestantism, they do not believe in the rapture. I'll tell you a, a cute story that really happened to me. In the early 70s, um, I would actually drive to Milwaukee because there were Jesus people down there. And I had long hair and a beard and they had long hair and beards and they loved the Lord and so that's where I would go for a while. And this is before they moved to Chicago. So they had a coffee house called the Brady Street Coffee House and we would go down there. And I got to be friends with them. Now, um, there's a man named Glenn Kaiser who um, started a band called the Resurrection Band. You have to be old to know what I'm talking about right now. But was, it was the first Jesus people commune in the Midwest. And I went down there and I thought they were doing these concerts. And then, um, um, let me find his name here real quick. Jim, uh, Italian, Peril. P-A-L-O-S-A-A-R-I. <laughs> and he was the overseer, and after the concert, he'd give an altar call, and, and people would come forward. Well, I wanted that in Oshkosh. And I said, would you guys come to Oshkosh and come to Menominee Park? And they weren't even called the Res Band yet, but Glenn Kaiser, the leader of it, uh, he was a part of the group. But there was like 12 of them. And I thought, I don't have any money. Where am I gonna put these guys? I know, I'll go ask pastor of the Lutheran church that I used to go to. He's a Christian, he'll be all excited about this, the gospel getting shared. So I went in and talked to him and I said, I have, can I sleep in the basement? And he got all this room and we're gonna be doing an outreach of Menominee Park to get to put on a concert, then we're gonna preach the gospel. He just looked at me and he I said, uh, one question. I said, what? Do they believe in the rapture? And I said, yes. And he said, no. 
And that's the only question that he had. And uh, so uh, my house was really packed during that, <laughs> during, during that time. But people got saved. And I got to be, I got to know the Rez Band, which became one of the most famous bands at that time. And of course, the Jesus people eventually moved to Chicago. Uh, but th- this was before they moved to Chicago. So that's my Lutheran do not believe in the rapture story. <laughs> Let's go back and finish up our book. Verses four through six. So he condemns them for not watching. And then he says, on a positive note, but you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. These are true and everybody knows somebody who's a Lutheran that's born again. And they love the Lord and um, that's what's being said here. And then he says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in a white garment. And then he says this, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Well, will not block your name out of the book of life carries with it implications. The implication is, it could be, and I can't tell you how much of a debated scripture, um, probably one of the most debated scriptures in the Bible. But let me just tell you this. I'm not gonna try to dance around what I just read. Instead, I'm gonna give you a couple other scriptures that if we just take it in the context that it's written in here, my first question is, if, if it's not a, a chance of that ever happening, why even bring it up? That would be my first question. My second question goes to three different verses that are gonna, um, well, let's just go to verses and I'll let you decide for yourself. First one is Hebrews chapter six. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter six, verses four through eight. It says, for it is impossible for those who have been once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers to the ages to come, if, now if is gonna be a very big word here in all the scriptures that I'm going to, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God, uh, which put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful uh, for those by whom it is cultivated uh, receive blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and uh, briars, it is rejected and uh, near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. Turn with me to um, Colossians. Chapter 1. Colossians 1, and I'm looking at verses 22 and 23. 22 says, In the body of the flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. Then the word if. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved 
away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I'm going to quote to you Romans 11. If you're taking, you just write this one down. I won't have you turn to it. Romans 11, verse 22. Paul says, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you goodness, then the word if. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Okay, people, the argument goes, well, these people were never saved in the first place. And there's arguments of what the book of life is and who's taken in and why they're taken out. And there's, there's much research that you can do on that. And this is where I'm gonna challenge you to be a Berean and come up with your own conclusion. But I'm gonna keep it in context and just read it for what it says this morning. Now, so that some of you um, don't feel like, or feel like, oh, I hope that's not me. And let me just encourage you with another verse. Don't misunderstand what I just said. We're talking about backsliders. I could quote um, the parable of the sower where they received the word, it says, with joy and endured for a while, but in time of temptation, fell away. My question is, were they saved during that period of time? And I would have to say yes, but they left during time of temptation. I think everybody here knows somebody that's backslidden. Well, here's the good news as long as they're still alive. And that is 1 John 1.19. Let's say a person, I talked to somebody this week. Um, he said he backslid in 2015 and he didn't come back to the Lord until the pandemic hit. And then he stopped his life. And he called me up. He says, Dwight, can we talk? We talked for an hour. And I wanted him to pray at the end because I wanted to see if he really had repented. Man, passionate love for the Lord just poured out of the sky. First John, and he was backslidden. The danger is what happens if you die in a backslidden state. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as long as, as you're still breathing, you can confess if, if you've fallen and you said, man, I really blew, blew it, and we all really blew it. Good place for an amen. But the good news is, when that happens, be quick to repent. And so as, let's wind this thing up this morning. Jesus calls on the church to Sardis to repent and watch. Um, and let's go to chapter three, verse B, where it says, I'll read verse five again. He who overcomes will be clothed in a white garment and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Wow. I mean, just let that set in a little bit. Um, going from having your name possibly blotted out, but... If you confess me before my, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. We will close by looking at <clears throat> the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Verse 
just two verses. Luke chapter 12 is an encouragement as we walk out these doors this morning to take advantage of the signs of the times. And you can say, you'll never guess what I saw in church this morning. (laughs) By the way, all you have to do is Google her name on YouTube. It's all over the place if if you want more on it. And we'll probably be making DVDs because I'm sure people are going to want them. Luke chapter 12 verse 7 says, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Um, That's how much the Lord loves you. It looks like he loves some more than others as I look out here. (laughs) Yes, Tom, I'm looking at you. (laughs) The very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. That's such an important verse right now. And I hope because of everything that we did this morning that um, that will alleviate any fear that you may have had. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more value than many sparrows. And I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men um, will be denied before the angels of God. Now this is the church to one of the promises to Sardis. I'm gonna confess you my name before the angels of God. The other cross reference here is Matthew 10. And here it says, in Luke it says before the angels of God. Matthew says it just a little bit different. And this is our last verse. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him I will confess before my Father, which is in heaven. Father, this is Dwight. This is John. And uh, he confessed me before men. And I'm bringing him before you right now, and I'm confessing him. He's mine. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. We do close in praying for our president, Lord. President Donald J. Trump, we pray that you would um, protect him. Um, We thank you for your word this morning. And help us receive the admonition that we are to be watching for your coming. Um, And so as we continue through the book, we just again pray you'd go before us now and the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Because I wanted to see if you really had repented, man, passionate, love for the Lord just poured out of the sky. First John, and he was backslidden. The danger is what happens if you die in a backslidden state. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as long as as you're still breathing, you can confess if, if you've, fallen and he said man I really blew it and we all really blew it good place for an amen but the good news is when that happens be quick to repent and so let's wind this thing up this morning Jesus calls on the church to Sardis to repent and watch Um, and let's go to chapter 3 verse B where it says, I'll read verse 
Five again. He who overcomes will be clothed in a white garment and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Wow. I mean, just let that set in a little bit. Um, Going from having your name possibly blotted out, but if you confess me before my, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. We will close by looking at the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Just two verses. Luke chapter 12 is an encouragement as we walk out these doors this morning to take advantage of the signs of the times And you can say, you'll never guess what I saw in church this morning. (laughs) By the way, all you have to do is Google her name on YouTube. It's all over the place if you you want more on it. And we'll probably be making DVDs because I'm sure people are going to want them. Luke chapter 12 verse 7 says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Um, That's how much the Lord loves you. It looks like he loves some more than others as I look out here. (laughs) Yes, Tom, I'm looking at you. (laughs) The very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. That's such an important verse right now. And I hope because of everything that we did this morning that um, that will alleviate any fear that you may have had. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more value than many sparrows. And I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men um, will be denied before the angels of God. Now this is the church to one of the promises to Sardis. I'm gonna confess you my name before the angels of God. The other cross-reference here is Matthew 10, and here it says, in Luke it says before the angels of God. Matthew says it just a little bit different, and this is our last verse. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him I will confess before my Father, which is in heaven. Father, this is Dwight, this is John, and Uh, He confessed me before men and I'm bringing him before you right now and I'm confessing him, he's mine. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. We do close in praying for our president, Lord, President Donald J. Trump. We pray that you would um, protect him. Um, We thank you for your word this morning and help us receive the admonition that we are to be watching for your coming. Um, And so as we continue through the book, we just again pray you'd go before us now and the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.